Welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. Today, we're still talking about winning. I'm going back to a theology of winning, and I specifically want to talk about rewards. Everybody say rewards. I want you to turn with me to the book. I'm going to read a few verses, actually. We're doing a theology of winning, and I'm going to talk about rewards. Second uh, John chapter 1, verse 8. 2 John, Second John 1, verse 8. And then I'm also going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. So matter of fact, let's start at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, then we'll go to 2 John. Hallelujah. When you have it, say amen. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. For... For there is no other foundation that no man can lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, capital D, the day will declare it. So Paul is letting us know about a day to come. The day is going to declare whether the works that we do while we're on earth is gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. Everybody say fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. We'll be saved, yet so as through fire. Amen. So the Bible talks about, once again, our, there's a day that's coming in which we're all going to have to give an account for what we do with what God has given us. And on that day, the Bible tells us that if our work that we present to him is substantial, is of quality, then the Bible says that there's going to be a fire that's going to pass on our works. And I heard a whole bunch of goofy stuff about this when I was a kid. When people talked about the day of judgment and talked about on that day, you know, God is going to roll down a screen, a projector screen, and then your whole entire life is going to show up on the screen and everybody's going to see what you did. Anybody ever heard that? 
that your whole life is going to flash before everybody's eyes. <laughs> and then uh, God is going to show everybody and show you, and then you're going to be judged according to your works. Now, I didn't know they was going to show porn in heaven. Because if our works came up there, You see, some stuff we got to just really paint the picture accurately, right? So it doesn't make any sense for God to bring all of our work in front of our eyes and everybody's eyes if he already died for the sins that we already committed. There's no reason for God to judge you for sins that he already died for. So this judgment is not dealing with your sin. The cross was the judgment that dealt with your sin. So when you stand before God at, on this, and this specific day that he's talking about, he's speaking about all the works that, we've, that, we are going, that we're doing for him that we are going to present to him. The Bible says, the, first of all, the only way that the works can be qualified, number one, is if it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That means that if I try to do work based on me, it immediately won't qualify. Because anything I do for him, I'll have to do it for him and from him based upon what he's already done. So I can't do anything for him that he has not already done for me. So, so, so you get what I'm saying? I'm not going to try to impress God with my works because the first work God is already impressed with is the work of Jesus, what Jesus Christ did. He's the foundation. And so the first thing, the first work every single one of us has to understand is that the work that I'm standing on is the finished work of Christ. That the work that I'm standing on, when I go before, when I, when I go before God in the day of judgment, I'm standing confidently, I'm standing bold, I'm standing, the Bible says that in 1 John, that we will have no fear in the day of judgment, right? We will have no fear because perfect love has cast out all fear, and we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. So one of those signs that you know you are believing the truth about who you are in Christ is that as you think about Judgment Day, you have more and more optimism and excitement about that day. That that day doesn't terrify you or scare you because you understand where your righteousness comes from. I'm not going to God based on my own righteousness. You're not, supposed, you're not going to God based on your own righteousness. When you stand before God, you are going on the right, based on the righteousness of Jesus, that what Jesus did for you to make you right with God is what qualifies you to stand before the, before the Father in the end. So we have boldness in the day of judgment because we know the truth. So any Christian who's afraid of dying and afraid of judgment, you have to question your salvation because your life is most likely not on the foundation yet. You have not built your life on the foundation. You're still building your spirituality on your own strength. And as long as you do that, you're always going to be building on hay, straw, wood, nothing substantial. The fire is going to burn it up. 
We're not talking about hellfire. <laughs> We're talking about the fire that's in his eyes. You know, in the Bible, it talks about the, 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 the picture of Jesus in Revelation. There's his, his eyes is like a burning fire. It's like a blaze. You know that it speaks about the fact that his eyes are so piercing, nothing can get past it. Everything that you do is going to be naked before God. Every motive, every intention in your heart, whether you try to, you try to uh, uh, con some people or, or pretend to be something in church that you're not outside of church, in judgment, you can't bring to God anything that's not real because the fire is going to see right through it. It's going to burn it up. And the only thing that's going to last is what you have done from a pure conscience, from a genuine heart. And so now here it is. We're standing before Jesus. He wants to, the Bible says, reward us. If anyone's work, which he has built on, is in, it endures, he will receive a reward. Now fast forward to 2 John chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says in the New King James Version, look to yourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, don't look at me. <laughs> look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Everybody say a full reward. That means if we can get a full reward, then that means there can be a partial reward. If we can get a full reward, then that means you may get no rewards. But the Bible says, be to it or see to it that we don't lose the things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Again, John in his late, this is our old John now, Pastor John, towards the end of his life, he's now encouraging and admonishing believers to understand that, again, what we do what we work for, the Bible says that God wants to give us a full reward. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Everybody say God is a rewarder. So there are two things you got to know to please God. Number one, that he is. Believe that he is. Believe that he exists. Believe that he is alive. Believe that he is with us. Believe that he is now. He is near. Believe that he is. And number two, believe that he is a rewarder. When, when God appeared to Abraham, God said of himself, Abraham, I am your shield and I am your exceedingly great reward. You got to understand this thing about God. God is a rewarder. And the kingdom is a reward-based system. That in the kingdom, God will reward his people. God loves rewards. We serve a reward-giving God. He's going to give out crowns, <laughs> maybe trophies, maybe medals, who knows. But one thing you got to realize is that if God is a rewarder, then that means what is a reward? A reward is what you receive for your labor. It's what you receive for your labor. In fact, the word reward, it means, 
It means compensation for services. Write this down. Reward means compensation for services. It also means the fruit of one's labor or works. All right, I'm teaching today, okay? Reward is compensation for services. It's the fruit of one's labor or works. Reward is so much a part of who we are that it's a shame today that we're living in a culture and a society that's actually trying to remove the idea of reward from school, from education. Do I have any educators in here? That they're trying to remove reward out of the equation. That they are saying that, you know, children shouldn't be motivated by rewards. They should just know the right thing to do and want to do the right thing. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a child anymore, but there are some things I'm not motivated to do until I ask what's in it for me. Come on. Reward inspires. Rewards motivate. Rewards motivate winning. I want to win because there's a prize at the end. There's a reward at the end. And that's why it's important that you understand that God needs us to have a theology of winning. And in everything we do, we must realize that God is a God of rewards. That if we are diligent, if we seek him, if we pursue him, God is not unfaithful to not reward us for whatever we do for him. You will be rewarded, whether it's in this life or in the life to come. C.S. Lewis has a quote. And C.S. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. Those who did the most in the present were those who thought the most of the next. There's another quote that I saw. I don't know who wrote, who said it, but it says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about seriously as if I'm going to live forever. We have to become more focused on the eternal more than we are on the temporary. If we're going to learn how to win in the end, because there's some people who are earthly successes but will be heavenly failures. That when they stand before God, they will have no rewards. They might have had a mansion on earth, but they have a shack in heaven. And what God wants us to learn how to do is have an eternal perspective. Everybody say an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. And you don't cross into that realm of eternity until you begin, until you die to yourself. <laughs> right? When you, when you lay down your life, your ambitions, your own work pursuits, and you're willing to die, or, or, or I should say, you found the thing worth dying for. 
Once you find what's worth dying for, then you can start living. And, and so Christ is the person that we find that we realize is worth dying for. When we find him, we're willing to, to surrender. We, we die to ourselves. We, we de de deny everything. Why? Because I understand that what Jesus promises me is bigger and greater than just this earthly temporary stuff. Eternal life is what Jesus offers. Abundant life is what Jesus offers. So I'm not, I don't want to be just solely uh, um, solely driven by just earthly accolades and the things that I can get today. You need a perspective of your life in which you realize that when I stand before God, I'm going to stand confident. I'm going to stand excited. I'm going to say, Lord, look at what I've done for you in your name. I got trophies. I got awards. Come on, it's going to be a shame that you've been in church for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And then when you stand before him in the end, you'll have nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. And some people think just showing up to church is enough. <laughs> There's no crown for showing up to church. In fact, the Bible talks about a few crowns some of the crowns that we're going to be rewarded with. And I have some beliefs about those crowns. Maybe I'll explain it in a little while. Maybe I'll get to it. But the reward that's offered to us is that the Bible talks about he will give, he will give um, several different crowns. For example, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 talks about the incorruptible crown for those who live a disciplined life. James 1, 12 talks about the crown of life for those who patiently endure trials and testings. 1 Peter 5.2 talks about the crown of glory for those who faithfully care for the flock. The Bible talks about the crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. And the Bible also talks about the crown of rejoicing for all who are faithful soul winners. Those who are passionate about sharing their faith and bringing people to Christ, God will, re God will reward soul winners with, crown, with a crown of rejoicing. And so I, I believe these crowns are not just something that we're going to parade around heaven with, but I also believe that the crowns will also reveal the status that you'll enter into heaven with. Some people they may not believe it, but there is status in heaven. Their status. And the thing about it is, there's going to some people, there'll be some people who have a, who have stat, who didn't have any status on earth. But will be big dogs in heaven. Because watch this, God is not rewarding you because of the size of your gift or ministry. He's going to reward you according to the size of your faithfulness faithfulness to whatever he called you to do, whatever he put on you, whatever calling, whatever purpose he's put on the inside of you. I can't, that's why the Bible says, look to yourselves. We can't, we can't judge each other based on what we're doing to think, well, this person is, I'm doing better than you. I'll be rewarded more because once I start doing that, I'm going to start building on the wrong foundation. 
And I won't, my reward, my work will burn up. So there is a, um, there is going to be status in heaven. Like I said, some people are going to have mansions, some are going to have, <laughs> I think everybody will have a mansion. But I think that you're going to have some stuff in your mansion that I may not have. Or you might have access to some parts of the kingdom that I may not have access to. I remember when, when the, um, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about eternity. And he began to just um, highlight a few things about, about heaven. And I want to go back to the whole thing about how today in the world, they're trying to remove the idea of rewards. I was talking to Peyton's teachers and, um, in her school, and they talked about how, you know, last year they used to have this chart where the kids who, who did well for the day, they'll have the sticker or some stars that they will mark it. And then at the end of the day, they'll get stickers. And I remember Peyton coming home excited, showing me the sticker. Showing me that she, she did good. She participated in class, and she got the sticker at the end of the day. This year, the, uh, the administration said they decided to remove that system from the school. So now, they're having a lot more problems in the classroom with the students. Because one of the things the Bible says, turn with me real quick. There's another verse I want to show you really, really quick. First uh, 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 Corinthians 9. Watch this. First Corinthians 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Say, God is a rewarder. Say, God is not a socialist. See, who remembers this, the parable of the talents? Person had five, two, and one. God didn't give everybody the same amount. So, the person who got one thought that he was not being treated fairly. <laughs> How come he got five, I only got one? Why didn't God just give everybody the same amount? The Bible says that he gave them talents according to their abilities. And so the person who had five, the Bible says he went to work. And when the master came back, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you five and you gave me more than I gave you. Same thing happened with the person with two. I gave you two, you did more with the two I gave you. Good job, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the one took the one and buried it in the ground and said, hey, master, here's the one you gave me. Here's the one you gave me. And the master looked back at him and said, you are a wicked and unprofitable servant. You see, contrary to popular belief, God does not talk about money more than he talks about anything else. He talks about stewardship. Stewardship is what? It's you managing the affairs of another person. 
when Jesus comes back, your time, your talents, your, your money, your treasure, anything that God has given you, you're going to have to give an account to God based on what you've done or what he gave you. And that's what he's going to reward you on. He's not going to reward you because, hey, this person grew a, 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 um, a Fortune 500 company and your company remained a small business. He's not going to judge a pastor because this pastor didn't get to grow a, 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 um, a mega church or a 1,500-member a church or a 5,000-member church. He is going to basically look at you and say, how did you multiply what I gave you? And he considers faithfulness good stewardship. And he considers good stewardship increasing what he gave you. Not just giving back to him what he gave you, but, but being able to give to God more than he gave you. All right. He retook the person who did nothing with the one, and the Bible says he took that one from him and gave it to the person with 10. God didn't care about his feelings. We will say that's not very democratic. <laughs> we will say that's not politically correct. This person was poorer than this person, but yet you took the one from the person who did not have as much as the next, but you still took it from them and gave it to the person with more. Shouldn't God have taken the, the, the nine away from the 10 and give it to the one to help him? Wouldn't that have been the nice thing to do? It would have been nice, but what would have happened? He still wouldn't have done nothing with it and would have buried it. <laughs> I know we don't like this, but God is a rewarder of those who are diligent, those who are faithful, those who go to work, those who put in the work. God rewards and blesses the diligent. The sluggard gets no reward. The diligent, he rewards. This is for every area of life. You must have a picture of reward. In fact, I don't even, this is why I ask, I always try to make sure, before you do anything, I always try to ask you, do you know why you're doing this? Do you know why you're doing this? Do you know why you come to church? Why do we come to church every week? Is that important? Why? You got to have a why in your heart. You got you to gotta get clear about why you do what you do and why God asks you to do what he asks you to do. Don't just do it for church's sake. Don't just do it for your parents' sake. Just don't do it out of tradition's sake. Get a revelation in your heart behind why God wants you to do it. What's the reward? Because you're lying if you think you're going to be diligent to do something with no reward in mind. Reward is to work. What results are to prayer? If you work without a reward in mind, you're wasting your time. See, if you pray, 
without results in mind. You're wasting your time. Unfortunately, so many people pray without expecting results. I mean, just think about it. Kanye West is going around proclaiming Jesus Christ as King, as Lord, produces a whole album proclaiming Jesus is Lord. We have been in, in churches praying that God would touch celebrities, that God will save the, um, the, the rappers, that God will, enter, will invade entertainment in Hollywood. It starts happening and the church is wondering. I mean, if we didn't, did we not pray for this 20 years ago? <laughs> it's very similar to when Peter was arrested, right? And they were praying for Peter's escape from prison. Peter gets out of prison and shows up at the house and they close the door back on him. <laughs> because they didn't really expect Peter to show up. How many people are praying and not expecting what they're praying for to show up? But they think that by, pr by praying, it's just my nice Christian duty. It's I'm praying out of discipline. We're just praying out of discipline. No, when you pray, you should expect something to happen. You should expect to receive the answer to what you've been praying for. We don't work for work's sake. That's slavery. If you work for work's sake, you're just a slave. Slaves worked without getting paid. <laughs> Jesus said, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. Come on. You don't pray for prayer's sake. That's religion. We pray to see results. <laughs> you see, that one simple shift causes us to get out of the, the, the um, vain repetitions of just mundane church life. Just showing up. Like, one of the things that God was just brewing in my spirit, I'll, t I'll get to this next week, is that I really believe that we're, some of us, we have learned, we're getting to a place where we're believing God for like breakthrough in our healings and breakthrough in our finances. But I really felt in worship when Bianca was saying blind eyes are open and strongholds are broken, I was beginning to see unsaved people as she was saying that. And I'm beginning to see many of us, we can believe for our breakthroughs and we can believe for our own healing, but we are slow to believe that some people still can't be saved. And, and, and I really believe that God, God is getting ready to, for, to cause our church, God is getting ready to bring our church into a season of, of explosive growth as we're seeing people give their hearts to Christ. People who you thought were totally, uh, totally anti-Christ and anti-God and anti-faith and anti-Bible. There is a resurgence coming up in which people are getting more and more hungry for God as people are equally confused and more confused and are, and are wondering what's the truth. Listen, 
Jesus is King's album. The Bible said, I mean, not the Bible, the news reporters have been saying that searches on Google have gone through the roof regarding Christianity. That people are, are Googling about Christianity, discovering who Jesus is because Kanye West is talking about him. We are about to embark on, I believe we're on, on the verge of another Jesus movement. That what happened in the 60s during Woodstock era, when people were getting saved on the streets, when people were getting saved on the streets, hippies and weed heads were just having encounters with Jesus. We talk about Azusa and we talk about a lot of revivals, but no one really talks about the Jesus movement. And one of the main reasons why is because it didn't start in a church. No church, no denomination could claim ownership of that movement. But it was, it, it, it was birthed out of the social revolutions that was happening in the 60s. It was birthed out of the songs. People were tired of, tired of religion. They were tired of tradition. They were tired of politics. We said, we just want the truth. And as people got hungry for the truth, Jesus started showing up. <laughs> See, all we got to do is get ready to receive. We got to get ready to reap the harvest. I feel that thing. People are becoming curious and they're becoming hungry. And you can't be skeptical when they come around you. You can't be wondering whether or not they're serious or not. You just got to open up your mouth. It's going to be so easy to get people saved in 2020. You just got to be bold enough because they want to see your conviction to know whether what you believe, if you believe what you believe. I'm, I'm getting into next week's message. Let me get back to the verse. 1 Corinthians 9, watch this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Again, now in schools, you can't play games where kids got to sit out. They have to only play games where everybody gets to play all the time because no one is allowed to sit out. You can't play dodgeball anymore. You can't play dodgeball because if you get hit, you have to sit out and wait your turn. You didn't know that? They took away dodgeball. What else, Eddie? You can't play some games, right? Any game where you go out, you can't, you can't play that in school. <laughs> Today's culture, children are being trained to believe that they ought to get a reward just for trying. What does that create? What does that breed? Entitlement. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-kingdom. Because in the end, everybody's not getting rewards. So I'm not preparing my children for heaven if I tell them that they're going to be rewarded just for trying. No, winners get rewards. I said winners get rewards. <laughs> Entitlement. Everybody gets medals, right? Everybody gets trophies. They run a race, everybody gets a trophy. 
No, there's something about going home, realizing I lost. I lost. <laughs> that makes you go back to the drawing board, go back home and start training again, working harder, because next time I want to win. Next time I want to come out on top. There's something about that. God has no problem telling you you lost. <laughs> what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose? <laughs> we have to realize winning is a part of your DNA. It doesn't feel good to lose. It feels good to win, right? Winning is a part of your DNA. So when you lose, losing is supposed to also help you motive. It's supposed to motivate you to step into your full potential. Michael Jordan said, I missed more shots than I've made. But he was a champion. There's something about being able to attempt something and fail. Thomas Edison said, if, if Thomas Edison, I forgot the quote, but Thomas Edison, he, who uh, discovered, so to speak, the uh, light bulb, but he but the, talks about how he tried over a thousand times. He kept losing. He kept losing. But guess what? I stopped, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. You call that resilience. Now, watch this. If you serve the God who always causes you to triumph, <laughs> that means you cannot lose. So if you know you cannot lose, then that means... You shouldn't give up. If I know I cannot lose, then that means I won't quit. Because there's a win coming. The people that give up don't believe they'll win. People who quit on life, who quit on their ministry, who quit on their purpose, who give up in, in, on their marriage don't believe they'll win. So they gave up. But if you know that God always causes you to win, that there is a win coming, that he leads you from victory to victory, from breakthrough to breakthrough, if you believe that, it doesn't matter what you see right now, I'm resilient because I know he's going to cause me to triumph. Come on, that's what Cliff talked about. He saw failure in one area, in two areas, in three areas of his life. But he says, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. This man came, he called me and said, I want to come to church. He didn't have anywhere to, to he had nowhere to sleep. <laughs> he said, I'm going to come to church. You saw when he get, you guys saw when he showed up. He got baptized a few months ago. And he aligned himself to the house. He said, listen, I tried other things. I'm going to dedicate myself to this now. I'm going to dedicate my life to Christ. And now Cliff is on the come up. Come on. He lost his car. God got a, another car for him. He lost his job. Got another job. He's starting tomorrow. Come on. It's always too early to quit. It's always too early to give up. You serve the God who always causes you to triumph. Hallelujah. But what you need to remember is he's a rewarder. If I'm not doing my best today, 
God can use somebody else's victory to cause a godly jealousy to rise up in me. I want to do my best. Jimmy got a reward. I want a reward too. <laughs> my daddy used to always say this, right? If we, um, a test score came out, let's just say I got an 80 and somebody else got 100, or I got a 70 and somebody else got 100. <laughs> my dad would say, you two were in the same class? <laughs> I say, yes. So how come he got 100 and you got a 70? <laughs> you were hearing the same teacher, right? But it's true. The bottom line is this person applied themselves more than me and they got a higher score. <laughs> Let me get back to this verse. <laughs> but we got to kill that entitlement spirit, man. It's not kingdom at all. It's not kingdom. Your school's going to do it. You don't bring that into your house. Come on. Chores. You want, you want uh, um, what you call it, allowance? Do some chores. Today, kids just ask for money. They're, they just don't want even want to work for it. Just, and it's amazing because I preach grace, right? And you think we preach grace and, you know, this, you know, this, we're saved by grace, not works, and things like that. And yes, they, we don't work for salvation. We don't work for our salvation. But when we get into the kingdom, we go to work. Out, before the kingdom, you can't work your way into it. But once you get in the kingdom, then you're about your father's business. There's work to be done. <laughs> Yeah? Don't slack off now that you're in Christ. The Bible says the righteous are more excellent than their neighbors. God wants you to live an honorable, excellent life. And that life that you live, the quality of your life, is your greatest evangelistic tool. Because evangelism is not an event. It's your life. And how you live in this world will ultimately determine whether or not people will be drawn to the Christ you serve. And there's a reward for winning souls. All right, I'm almost done. What verse I said we were supposed to read? 1 Corinthians. Oh, yeah, 9.24. Oh, to 27. So uh, Paul continues to say, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus not with uncertainty, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself shall become disqualified. Come on. Now, he, again, he's not talking about being disqualified from salvation. He's not talking about being disqualified from Christ. He's talking about the rewards. 
I, be, I began to ask the Lord to just begin to break down some of the rewards, um, the practical things that we can begin to think about. Because again, you know, one of the, they, there's a book called The Power of Habit that talks about um, how habits are formed in the human brain and how you form habits in your body. And he talks about how there's three, there's three loop, there's like a three loophole system in our, that our brain does to, to create habits. It's called cue, routine, and reward. And so a cue is whatever triggers a routine. Like when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? That's your routine. For some of you, you might go and just start praying, go on your knees and pray. Somebody else, they might just go and brush their teeth. Somebody else might go do push-ups. Whatever is your first, your routine. And then what you do, the routine is established by a reward. That the reason why you do it over and over again is because you have a reward in mind, in your own brain. And so the reward of spending time with God in the morning is that you feel more at peace, you feel better about yourself, or the reward of brushing your teeth. You know, these things that you do so routinely, you don't even, you don't even question whether or not you're going to do it. What's the reward of brushing your teeth? You have a reward in mind. That's why you do it. No cavities, no gingivitis, no yellow teeth. You have your breath, your, your breath smells good. You have a reward. Why do you go to the gym and work out? You have a reward. The body you want, the look you want, the clothes you want to wear. You see, you have a reward in mind. Reward inspires discipline. Paul said, because of the reward I have of the incorruptible crown, of me being able to stand before God faultless and be able to show him that I've done a, I've done a good job for him a good as a good and faithful servant, I discipline my body. The Bible says without a vision, people perish. Without a vision or a goal in mind, a goal is a reward. What do I want to achieve? What do I want to become? Without a vision, people perish. So that another translation actually says, without a vision, people cast off restraints. Without a vision, people throw off restraints. People, meaning that people won't discipline themselves if they don't have a vision as to what they're working for. So you need a goal or reward to keep yourself motivated. The reward of virginity is what? The reason why many people lose their virginity or many of us have lost our virginity before we got married was because we forgot the reward. We won't wait long. We, won't, we didn't put on restraints because we weren't thinking about the reward. The reward of intimacy with your spouse. The connection you'll be able to have with your spouse that you can't have with anybody else. That's the reward of intimacy. That's the reward of virginity. How about, what's the reward of purity? The reward of keeping yourself pure today. Reward of being pure. pure. The reward of purity is the ability to focus. 
The reward of purity is the ability to focus. The reason why you want to keep a pure heart and a pure mind and keep your body pure is so that you can focus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. God, blessed are the pure, for they shall see. We're able to focus in life when we're pure. If I get myself wrapped up in all sorts of inordinate affections and I start getting wrapped up in behaviors that are unclean or unholy, I'm just distracting myself. I can't focus. You start messing around with four or five women, man, you can't focus on your business. You can't focus on your career. You can't build nothing. The reward of purity is the ability to focus. What's the reward of studying? <laughs> the reward of studying is mastery. The reward of a job. What's the reward of a job? Compensation, right? Getting paid. Salary, wage, that's easy, right? What's the reward of work? Not a job. What's the reward of work? Satisfaction. Fulfillment. The reward of work is fulfillment. When you do work that God has called you to do. <laughs> Not a job, work. Two different things. What's the reward of faith? The reward of faith is favor. God favors those who believe in him, who trust him, who have a fear of him. The reward of seeking God is finding him. <laughs> the reward of seeking God is finding him. You find him, his presence. Seek me, you will find me. The reward of obeying God is blessing. You see, the reason why you want to obey God is because blessing follows obedience. I know you should want to obey him for obeying sake, but God knew how he created us. He built in us a desire for rewards. So it gets to a place where you want to obey because you just love him. If you love me, you'll obey me. But he also understand that, that the Bible says if you obey his voice, if obey his voice, obey his word, and you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the coming, blessed in your going. Amen? Two more things. The reward of faithfulness. What's the reward of faithfulness? Increase. God rewards you when you're faithful with whatever you have with more. Increase is on the other side of your faithfulness. You don't have to wonder why you don't have more. Just be faithful with the less or the little that you have and God will bless the less with more. That's how you grow. That's how you increase in whatever area you want to increase in, whatever area you want to see promotion in. Be faithful. You don't got to cry for promotion. Just be faithful. Promotion comes. The reward of meditation. 
The reward of meditating on God. What's the reward of meditation? Manifestation. Manifestation. The reward of, me of meditation is manifestation. Uh, Joshua 1, God told Joshua, meditate on my word day and night. Then you shall make your way prosperous. You will make your way prosperous. You will experience the very thing you're meditating on. If you don't meditate on the word, you won't experience the word of God. You have to keep your mind wrapped up on these things. And so I'm going to wrap up right here. I'll get back to this next week. But I just wanted to lay this foundation of this groundwork in you to understand that God is a rewarder, amen? And that God delights in rewarding his kids, rewarding his children. And you should be motivated and inspired to please God. That I know that if I'm faithful, God will reward me. And that reward doesn't have to come from people. And I don't even need to look for it to come from people. I'll end with this quote. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> I'll end with this quote. You ready? I'm going to write this down. You guys ready? It's a quote about the future. Oh, wait, I can't find it now. <clears throat> oh, yeah, here it is. You cannot improve the future without disturbing the present. This is by William Booth. You cannot improve the future without disturbing the present. Winston Churchill said, the future is going to be good to me because I intend to write it. Future is going to be good to me because I intend to write it. Having a vision of eternity. Vision for the future gives purpose to the present. Vision of the future gives purpose to the present. You don't have a discipline problem. You have a vision problem. The clearer your vision the greater your desire for it, of, that, of a desired end, a future, a reward in mind, then it will literally cause you to put on restraints, put on self-control, put on diligence, because you know where you're going and you know what you're going after. And there are temporary rewards we strive for, but there's also eternal rewards we're striving for. And the way you stay motivated and the way you stay committed the way you stay focused is by making sure you have a picture of a future, where you want to go. I want you to become more focused on eternity than you are of the present. I want you to think about why you're doing what you're doing today and what ripple effects it's going to have in eternity. Don't just think about today. Don't just think about the present. 
Think about a generation that will never see you. But you will be able to impact them by the decisions you've made today. There are people who left church, don't go to church today because they said, I got saved. I'm good. I know where I'm going. And I cringe because they got two or three little kids, their own children, who they are, they have left them out of the very experience that they themselves benefited from to get to where they were today. And I cringe because I'm, in 10 years, we're not training that child up in the way they should go, the way that you were trained. So while you're thinking about yourself, I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven. What about your children? And what about their children who don't know how to value the house of God or the things of God because you're not bringing them? See, these are the things you tell your friends. It's bigger than just you. You're thinking about a next generation. Abraham didn't see the land that he was going to inherit. But every decision he made was with that land in mind. We're supposed to live into eternity, live into the future that we want. And God is a rewarder of those who are going to diligently seek him. Amen? Get a picture of winning. Get a picture of winning. You're, get a, get a, a beautiful picture. And I'm talking about winning in every area of life. And realize that God is setting you up to win, not for you, but for the generation that's coming after you. God is setting you up to win because there are unbelievers around you who don't know the God who is a rewarder. But if you get lined up like Cliff did, you get aligned to his will, aligned to his word, and you begin to stay focused, stay diligent, Stop putting off those things that you know you should do today because you feel overlooked. No, God is going to reward you. The Bible talks about in due season, he will reward. In due season. Say, due season is coming to me. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. That's your reward. Whatever you sow is your reaping, your rewarding. Don't get mad if you don't have a harvest if you're not sowing. Let's all stand. What's the reward of seeking God? Finding him. Let's lift up our hands together. I pray that this word sobered you up a little bit. <laughs> I just pray that we will be, learn to become a church that's driven by eternity. Not our feelings. Not our emotions not trends or what's trending, not by what's the latest hashtags, but we will live beyond all of that. And we will learn how to keep our eye on eternity. The day is coming when we will stand before our Savior and our Lord. And we're going to give an account for what we've done with our lives. 
And Paul said, because I know I'm running this race, because I'm in this fight, I'm going to keep myself disciplined. And I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to continue to stay faithful in prayer. I'm going to continue to stay faithful in Bible reading. Don't allow the success. Don't allow your last success to become your hindrance for your next success. Because so many of us, we get a breakthrough. We get that job we wanted. We get that promotion or raise we wanted. We get that partner, that person we wanted. And then after that, the very thing we used to do to get where we got, we stopped doing it. Say, Lord, help me to stay faithful in the good times and in the bad times. Help me to stay faithful in every season that I will never look to myself as the source of my own blessings. I am forever indebted to you, Jesus. You saved my soul from sin. You're the one that causes me to triumph. I can do all things because you are the one that's given me the strength to do it. So I will remain humble, dependent on you to continue to be my helper, my guide, and my strength. And help me to have a vision of eternity so that my life can be aligned to your vision for my future. In Jesus' name. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.